Hello and a very good Friday morning or afternoon wherever you are. I'm Nadia Vilchik and I'm delighted to be joined by Julie Montague. Now Julie is Viscountess Hinchinbrook. She is also the daughter-in-law of the Earl of Sandwich. And Julie is here with me today to discuss the leadership, the legacy of King Charles. So Julie, welcome. Thank you so much. So, much. so, Julie, tomorrow is a big day in England because King Charles will have his coronation. And for you, what does it mean for you? And, and I say you are a royal expert, but you're also a royal insider. <laughs> yes, I, I, I mean, I don't know if they go hand in hand, those two, but, but perhaps they do. Perhaps they do. <laughs> Um, do you know, first and foremost, I think, you know, there have been, Nadia, as you know, three big royal events in less than 12 months. You know, less than a, uh, less than a year ago, we had the Queen's Platinum Jubilee. And then sadly, a few months later, we had the death of Her Late Majesty, the Queen, so the state funeral. And now here we are, the coronation of King Charles III and Queen Consort Camilla. So it's, there's... It has been a year filled with, uh, you know, royalty that I don't think anybody could have ever um, uh, predicted. And on a personal level, what do you feel about King Charles? Well, we know that he has been, uh, was the longest uh, waiting heir apparent in history. And that's because, of course, his late mother uh, reigned for 70 years. But, you know, in the meantime, he, and prior to, uh, to the Queen's death, he got on with the job. And I think for many people, uh, what has been overlooked about King Charles III is his initiatives, his charities, and really his passion about the countryside here, environmental issues, climate change, and farming. And a lot of that has been overlooked because we know that there has been, of course, a, a you know, tragedy within that family with the death of Princess Diana. And that I think has in one sense overshadowed the work that he has done. And it is, it's quite magnificent and tremendous, the work that he has done. You know, he, uh, again, has been a, you know, a, a patron of, I think it's around like over 800 charities and initiatives in total. That's a huge number right there. And Julie, I think people underestimate his interest and his knowledge about climate change. He was one of the first high profile people to really draw attention to the planet and what was happening. And now it's something that's become so much more mainstream. Before we get to that, if you are just joining us, I am joined by a royal expert. She is the Viscountess Hinchinbrook, and she is the daughter-in-law of the Earl of Sandwich. So before we get back to Charles for a moment, um, I think people are fascinated by you. I'm getting some interesting questions. How does Julie Montague get to be Julie Montague and the Viscountess of Hinchinbrook? Just give us a bit of background to you and an understanding of, I say your royal pedigree, Julie. <laughs> Well, that's probably stretching it, but I'll take it. Thanks, Nadia. No, do you know, uh, just really quickly for those of you who are um, tuning in and listening, uh, I married into one of the most, uh, I think, well-known, oldest noble families in the country, uh, the Earl of Sandwich family. Now, 
prior to my marriage, I had no idea that earls, dukes, and viscounts existed. I just thought it was, you know, all uh, prince and princesses and kings and queens, I think, like many people really across the United States and, and across the world. But I did marry into the Montague family. And you can see, if you're even watching this later, you can see the the portrait behind me is Edward Montague, the first Earl of Sandwich. Now he's really important, especially for the coronation that we're actually going to witness tomorrow because without him, we might not be having coronations today because Char uh, uh, Edward Montague, before he was uh, given the peerage Earl of Sandwich, he went on a secret mission in May uh, 1660 to bring back Charles II who was in exile, because let's remember, uh, Charles I was executed, the parliamentarian forces took over, it was the first time this country didn't have a, a monarch, and he brought Charles II back for what we call the Restoration, and a year later, in 1661, King Charles II was crowned in Westminster Abbey, and that's because of uh, our ancestor behind me, uh, Edward Montague, who later became the Earl of Sandwich. Now, the snack that we know, the sandwich, is also because of our family, but that phrase wasn't coined until the fourth Earl of Sandwich, uh, when he that that uh, word came to be the most popular, one of the most popular word, words used today because he was a great politician and head of the Admiralty and he would work at his desk very uh, often with papers. And so he asked that his piece of meat be put in between two pieces of bread. And thus we now are all eating sandwiches. Oh, Julie, that is, I've always known that the Earl of Sandwich was real and the sandwich was in fact, a thing that came from there, but I've never heard that exact story. So you really, in a way, play some part in tomorrow's huge, massive event that's going to take place in England. So I'm getting lots of questions in from various people. And, and a question that I'd like to ask you is Camilla and Charles. So we are going to see King Charles and the Queen Consort. As someone who's lived in England now for how many years? Oh, uh, over two decades now, yes. <laughs> children are British and you married into one of the most prestigious British families. How do people really feel about Camilla now, 2023? Obviously very different feelings to when Princess Diana died. Yeah, and it's a, it's a wonderful question and I think a poignant question to ask. I think in particular, the British public has definitely... Uh, turned the tide with her and she's much more accepted. She's done incredible work. But let's remember, you know, it was quite uh, controversial when they, uh, when uh, Charles and Camilla decided to marry um, uh, after the death of, of Princess Diana. And I think for many people that was upsetting. Uh, princess Diana was the people's princess. She was so loved around the world. And so you know, they were quite clever about it. They, in one sense, had a PR machine behind them just to make sure that she was slowly integrated into, uh, into charities, into speaking events. And this was a slow process. You know, this wasn't, you know, right within the first year of their marriage. This has been a long time coming. And in order to gain that acceptance and really that confidence from the British public. Now, I don't know what it's like over across the other side of the ocean and what the feeling is around Camilla, but I know that she does great work and I know that, you know, she is a loved member of the royal family. And then, of course, the other 
question is we know Harry is coming because that's what the press is saying, but no Meghan and none of Harry and Meghan's children. So are you comfortable talking to us about oh, that? Of course. And I, and my, um, I would say that many people here, including mine, think that that is the right decision that was made. And I suspect that they, they thought long and hard about it because we have to remember that since the death of Her Late Majesty, the Queen, we have had a six-part Netflix series come out, uh, one of Netflix's most popular series of documentary series of all time. We've had Prince Harry's book Spare come out, the fastest selling nonfiction book of all time with, you know, incredible detail that some of the detail would almost make, you know, your toes curl that you can't believe that that was actually written. And we know that a reconciliation, at least between Meghan and the royal family, has not uh, has not happened and uh, I think it was the right thing to do because it would have taken away the spotlight and the celebration and the enthusiasm that we have uh, around the royal family, the, uh, many of us, away from the events that are happening this weekend. I think that Prince Harry's choice in coming alone, again, was the right decision uh, you know, it has been said that he's coming not necessarily to support the institution, but to be there as a support for his father. But either way, whatever his reasons are, it is the right decision. But I think having Megan there would have taken away uh, from this, these, you know, uh, days, these tomorrow and Sunday and Monday, it's a bank holiday here, uh, taken away from really the uh, energetic, the energy and the enthusiasm that you can really feel here, in particular in London. Now, it's been called Operation Golden Orb, and Charles has been, King Charles, has been very specific about making this a more modern ceremony, trying to keep up with the times. Um, I understand only 2,000 people have been invited, not nearly as many as when the Queen had her coronation. Tell us more about that. And are people offended if they weren't invited? Well, I mean, you're asking somebody that probably would have been invited had um, had things hadn't changed. So we have uh, on display in, in uh, our house, Mapperton, uh, which is open to the public uh, in Southwest England. We have on display the Earl of Sandwich coronation robes, the coronet that the Earl and Countess had worn in 1953 and in 1937 and in, and in uh, of course, in, uh, in prior ones as well. And those are now not being worn. And my father-in-law is still the Earl of Sandwich. My mother-in-law is still the Countess of Sandwich and they were not invited. So I'm sorry, I'm gonna burst a lot of people's bubbles if you're wondering, they're not invited. Now let's remember the difference. When uh, Queen Elizabeth was crowned in 1953, the attendance was uh, 8,251. And I always wonder who is that one? What, what was that one? <laughs> And now, yes, and it's very much slimmed down. You know, we have just over 2,000 um, uh, in invitations that have gone out, but it's very different. And it represents this new king that we are now seeing emerge. And it represents, as I mentioned earlier, these in, in, one, in some way, the charities and the initiatives that he has been a part of and really championed over, you know, these 
70 years, if you like. Uh, and so I think it's really important that we are seeing a difference in his reign as opposed to reigns in the past. So no, we are not offended. And I think it's absolutely brilliant. In fact, I will tell you this, that uh, two of our farmers on uh, on the estate here at Mapperton have been invited because they, um, because of their initiative towards uh, farming in this country, which is huge, uh, regenerative farming, and, uh, and they have been invited. And I think that's the right thing to do. That's so interesting. Now, if you're just joining us, I'm speaking to Vi, Countess Hinchinbrook. The estate is Mapperton. You can go onto the website because they do open it to the public. Her father-in-law, the Earl, and his wife of Sandwich sound like they're very active. And I know in your videos, Julie, I've seen the Earl of Sandwich join you in commentary. And I think the point you make about they were at the Queen's coronation, they will not be at this, but two of your estate workers are who have been involved in initiatives. That says a lot because, you know, as someone who is in professional development, which is what I do, I'm always looking at leadership and we're looking at King Charles. You and I had a fabulous discussion about Queen Elizabeth's leadership. And we're talking about the positive qualities of her ability to learn. And you did such a wonderful job of talking about the legacy of Queen Elizabeth in terms of the positive things she did. King Charles is now the king and what does he bring that's different? That's the focus of our discussion if you're just joining us. And fascinating, now we do see that we have Jill and Joe Biden from America there. We see the Japanese um, princess is in England for the coronation. Macron mm -hmm. and his wife are there. Uh, there's some contro controversy over the Chinese who are there and that's being criticized. Are you hearing anything around that? Well, I my view on criticism is that we know that there was always going to be criticism uh, in some shape or form with this coronation, whether it was the attendees, uh, whether and, and as you just pointed out, there you go, uh, Chinese attendees, and and I think as the as the weekend unfolds, we are going to see um, more criticism. I don't know what that will be, but I think overall the spirit is positive uh, and it's enthusiastic. And we're looking forward very much to seeing, again, King Charles's leadership that will be different from his mother's. He does not want to step into the shoes uh, that his mother wore for 70 years. He wants to create a new path and around the initiatives and the charities that he has been so passionate about over the past, you know, as I said, um, uh, for 70 years. And that is what's very, and he's been um, quite vocal about them as well. I think much more vocal and as he could be because he wasn't king than his mother um, ever was about some of her, you know, charities and initiatives that she supported. We know that King Charles is um, uh, very much an advocate uh, for climate change and the environment, many of his initiatives revolve around the environment. In fact, you know, he bought Highgrove um, in order for him to sort of start that initiative with uh, organic produce um, that we see now in all the shops uh, across across the UK here. So he, he that is something that he will continue to champion. And let's also look at the invitations that were sent out, completely different if you like, of sort of the pomp and circumstance 
um, that we've seen in the past with the invitations in 1953 and 1937. You know, you saw the flora, the fauna um, going. Uh, you know, being created all around the invitation and the arrangements and the bouquets that will be and we, which we will see in Westminster Abbey after the ceremony, they will be packaged up, if you like, um, and be sent out to care homes and hospices and to the vulnerable members of the community. And they won't be housed in the Abbey in single-use plastic or any of that floral foam. I mean, he's really looking at the everything. And of course, you know, at a time like this, it's... It's a situation where anybody who's criticizing the monarchy, who's saying, do we in fact need this at all? I mean, that's inevitable because it is 2023 and you still have a British monarch. It is still costing the country millions and millions and millions and millions of pounds to do this. So it's interesting you say in terms of criticism, is the positive, and it, it sounds to me like you're saying the positive of this is outweighing the negative in every way. Well, that's my view. And, and you know, there's been some chat, uh, Nadia, about, you know, I mean, we don't know for sure, but it's been reported in newspapers that this, you know, this weekend will cost a uh, hundred million pounds. But if you look at that a hundred million pounds and compare it to the hospitality, the, the benefits to the hospitality sector, to the tourism sector. And let's remember, you know, out of all sectors that were hit the hardest during COVID, it was the hospitality sector. So this is an opportunity for pubs across the nation to, to benefit from this for tourism, but also without the Royal family, you know, we, we, we wouldn't have that ability, I don't think, to really showcase smaller charities, less known charities um, that maybe wouldn't get the attention that they're getting now because of the role of the royal family. You know, they are working, uh, they, they attend so many engagements and events. And we just saw yesterday, you know, the Prince and Princess of Wales, they went to a, a pub in Soho. They went on the tube, the Elizabeth line. And they are definitely much more, I think, relatable. And in one sense, um, that, that spirit that Diana had, where she would kneel down, open up her arms, hug, the warmth, we are now seeing that um, and feeling that, uh, in particular from the Prince and Princess of Wales, absolutely, but also with King Charles and Queen Consort Camilla as well. And we can't discuss tomorrow. And again, I'm looking at questions that are coming in. And thank you. I am talking to Julie Montague. She really is a royal insider, royal expert. She is the Viscountess Hinchingbrook. Um, please go onto the website of Maperton House. So just remind me what that website is, Julie. Yeah, so it's just Mapperton, M-A-P-P-E-R-T-O-N.com, Mapperton.com. And then do check out my YouTube channel. I've done a couple coronation videos there. That's called American Viscountess. And remember, Viscountess is, Viscount is spelled like discount, if that helps. <laughs> okay, so I want to put that in. So it's YouTube, because it's really good. And it's American Viscountess. Okay, okay. I'm putting that and I'm typing it so people can find you because you've got, and also just seeing Mapperton House is a glorious space. And um, have you seen an increase in any tourism during this weekend? 
Yes, absolutely. As soon as we, uh, well, we didn't know where the robes were. We had no idea where the coronet robes were because, of course, they haven't been worn since 1953. And lo and behold, uh, we were told uh, that they might be in a chest in the house. Now, I think many people think, how would you not look through this chest? I have to be honest with everybody. I didn't know. And we found him in the room behind me. I didn't know that some of the furniture that you see in this room actually opened up to a chest. <laughs> so it just looked like a piece of furniture to me. So we were told that it was in one of the chests. And of course, then my husband showed me that actually this piece of furniture, it opens up and there's a chest. And inside, I mean, I'm probably going to horrify some people, but in, in black plastic bags we found and actually they were in brilliant shape so whatever happened there they kept them all away they were in brilliant condition and we found the robes and the coronets and we've had those now on display and i think that has really helped to see an increase in um people visiting mapperton house the nation's finest uh house in england and also in particular my youtube channel is uh, the, the demographic, Nadia, I have to say, is mostly American. And we've seen more Americans than ever before uh, visit Mapperton, which has been brilliant. It's a two-hour and 20-minute train ride journey from, from London with beautiful landscape and topo English topography and countryside. So it's a lovely train ride to get down there as well. And you may even get to meet the Earl of Sandwich, um, ancestor of the originator of the sandwich, which is just remarkable in and of itself. So a question coming in about Andrew. So very much, you know, the disgraced brother. Will he be there and what will his role be? So uh, reports were coming out today that Prince Andrew and actually Prince Harry will have no official role at um, this weekend's events, no official role. And my understanding is that Prince Harry will literally be flying in and out. We have to remember that, of course, L.A. is uh, eight hours behind us. So there is a chance that he can get back just in time for Archie's fourth birthday, which is tomorrow. So I, my understanding is that he will be, Prince Harry will be only at the ceremony and then will be whisked away and heading straight back to the airport, heading back home. Um, Prince Andrew, again, uh, not an official uh, role at all. And I don't think we will be seeing very much of him apart from the ceremony itself. And uh, I don't know about the concert or any other events that are happening that involve the royal family, but I, I'm certain he won't be on the balcony and he probably won't be at the concert either. I believe it's just the ceremony. So there's so much more to discuss with you. And I know people are intrigued. Schadenfreude, maybe uh, some level of, of, of dark interest in some of the dysfunction of this family, which has been fascinating, something we can discuss at another time. But for today, thank you so much for sharing your, your thoughts about the kind of king that King Charles will be. And, and as you say, the focus on charities, his philanthropy, his focus on climate change, and just trying to make the ceremony so much more inclusive. And yes. that in itself will be fascinating. So um, if you were to have Charles and Camilla in front of you right now, as today dawns, a message from Julie Montague, Viscountess Hinchinbrook, daughter-in-law of the Earl of Sandwich, and just a very articulate, wonderful royal watcher, Mapperton House, I've given it to you, YouTube American Viscountess. I'm going to let you in today while you give the royals a message. 
My message to King Charles III and Queen Consort Camilla would be thank you. Thank you for highlighting and putting a spotlight on the environment and the need for rewilding, uh, also the need to help small uh, farming communities for regenerative farming. There is a way that rewilding, giving land back to nature and farming can work together. And Prince Char uh, King Charles III has highlighted this so beautifully. So thank you. Thank you, Julie Montague. And we look forward to a full report from the two of the people who work on your estate, who are going to attend the ceremony. And just as always, thank you for being so very gracious. Thank you, Nadia.